Hey, that's my wife. How you guys doing? You guys good? Because you guys look great. You look great. I mean, well, well, most of you. Most of you look great. Uh, welcome to Mariner's Church, Huntington Beach. We are so excited you're here. I love Sundays. It's like the bright day of the week where you come and you get to be around people who are filled with joy. I mean, it's awesome, isn't it? Isn't that wonderful? I love you. Get like, you know, where else do you get high five with giant Mickey hands? You know, like, it's so good. I love it. If you are here for the first time, we want you to be connected to this community because we truly, we are a community that cares for one another. And it's, it's evident on the patio. It's evident in our rooted groups and our life groups. It's evident wherever we go that we are a group that cares. And it's really easy to get connected to that. It's just a simple step. You have a connection card on the back of your bulletin here. And just some like really non-invasive questions like, what's your name? Like, what's your phone number? What's your most embarrassing moment? I mean, very, very low-key stuff. And then we'll, I'm just kidding, we'll get you connected. We'll give you a phone call to see what you want to know and how we can get you connected to this community. Because um, as, you, as you get connected, you'll see that we're a very generous community, generous with our time and how we, we give our time to one another and to this community and, and how we serve one another. Uh, but also, we're very generous with our tithe and offering, with our, with our money. Uh, we believe what Jesus said, that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so we want people to see where our heart is, that our heart is for this community. So when we tithe and we, and we give back what God has blessed us with, we're saying, God, we believe that you have a heart for this community. We love the people around us, and we love what you're doing here in this church. So if you'd like to partner with us, participate with that, uh, there are boxes on either side of the room here, and you can also give online. And finally, how many of you guys have been through Rooted? Right? Look at all those hands. Rooted is the deal that we do here. Like, we talk about it all the time because it is awesome. We really enjoy it. I went through Rooted uh, with my, my wife, we, and we found some of our closest friends. I mean, it's, it's a really great experience to go through. So if you haven't gone through it, today is the last day to sign up for this session's, uh, session's Rooted. So tonight is the kickoff. It starts at 6.30. So you can go out on the patio, uh, meet some awesome people like Erica, Kristen Calgo, the Welcome Center, and they'll get you signed up, and you just show up tonight, and we'll have a group for you. Like, how simple is that? And... You will love it. I guarantee you will love Rooted. You will go through and you'll meet people and you'll have a great time. So if you haven't been through Rooted, today is the day. Sign up for it. You will love it and you'll hear more about it later in the sermon. Um, and Caleb's going to come up. We're going to start our new series called What If? So welcome, Caleb. I switched on it. Good morning, everybody. Yeah, they do look good. Jordan, you're right. It's a, it's a good looking group. Thank you, dude. Um, we are starting this new series called uh, What If, and we are, we're doing that because we just had this awesome Easter Sunday. I know some of you came for the first time and you've come back. Welcome back. Uh, we're talking about this idea, what if, because we said some kind of bold and crazy things on Easter, that there was this guy who was God <laughs> in skin, and he was killed on a cross, but he didn't stay dead, and he came back to life, and that represents like forgiveness of all sins and new life for you and me, and, and so we wanted to explore that. Like, if, if that was true, like maybe it offends us intellectually, or we have some bad experience with like Christians, and uh, you know, there's, there's all kinds of mixed things. Uh, I don't want the political stuff. This is, you know, what it, but if it's true, what are the implications for my life? Like, if it's, if it's really true, then how does this look? How does it change things? Why is it relevant to me in 2014? So we're going to be looking at that a little bit today. Uh, but first, I wanted to ask, uh, how many of you know a control freak? <clears throat> Without elbowing someone next to you, uh, just kind of... <laughs> 
the blatant point out by some very loving wives and husbands in the room. Uh, yeah, I, I, would, I would venture to say that all of us are control freaks in some way, that all of us control, want to control some aspect of our lives. And if there was this continuum of desired control, if we looked at some different kind of components, compartments of life that we would find that you qualify uh, in those arenas. Mine, uh, I, have, I have a couple, I'll just kind of full disclosure, you can confirm with Hillary later. Uh, I, have, I have this thing where, where life out there in the real world is pretty chaotic and there are things that are out of my control. So part of me when I get home wants to have control in the house, you know? And so if I, if I come home and there's like just stuff everywhere, it, it, it kind of, it drives me a little bit crazy, and I'm like, and I try to, you know, control Hillary and be like, yeah, how come? And I'm ignoring the fact that we have like a one-year-old Tasmanian jackaroo that just <laughs> leaves this wake of stuff in his play zone, uh, but part of me just wants to go, and control that, and make that better, and make that neater, and I also grew up as like the oldest of three boys, the oldest of 11 grandkids. I said some of that last time, last week. Uh, but there's, there's part of me that feels like I need to be the example, the standard, or that I have like high potential. Most of you know what it feels like to have someone tell you you have high potential, which is like really exciting because you're like, yeah, someone sees potential in me. <clears throat> also, they recognize that I'm not there, <laughs> right? And so <clears throat> uh, how do I get to this ambiguous place of being better than I am now. Uh, and so there's this gap. And so because I felt that my whole life, I try to control the environment. And if I don't feel like I'm as far along as I should be, I can try to control the people closest to me And because it, it's obviously their fault that I'm not you know, far enough along. We all have these areas of our lives, if you look for them, if you're honest enough to look, because parentheses, it's easier to see control in other people than it is in your own life. If we're honest enough to take a look, you're going to find those areas where you grab for control for whatever reason. It, it, It could be because you're afraid of failure. It could be because you're afraid of intimacy. It could be because it's you're the only way you know how to get others to love you and you have a fear of being alone or being unloved and so you're controlling in your relationships. It could be because you, you just desire a feeling of power and being in charge and so much of life feels like it's out of your control and powerless. Maybe you don't trust others because people have let you down a lot and so you control things in your environment because people have proven themselves untrustworthy Maybe you have a big ego and you're trying to control things because to, to kind of feed that ego and to control people and put them in their place uh, because you have a sense deep down that maybe you're not all that you want to be. And so you're overcompensating in some way. Maybe you were controlled growing up. And so it's now just a natural response to try to control others. Whatever it is for you, that control, I hope you see, is motivated by some kind of fear. There's some kind of fear underneath it all. There's some kind of fear uh, in life because of past experiences or pain or unknown future that is inspiring us to want to grab on and control what we can of life to determine outcomes that are agreeable to us. But the thing about control is that the tighter you squeeze and the more you hold on, 
the less you're able to receive. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit this morning. I just want that idea to sit in your mind for a few minutes, and I'll come back to it. Luke chapter 5 is where we're going to be, but first I want to give you a little bit of a background because we're going to look at these good Jewish boys who are fishermen, and we're going to tell this story, but I want you to know their psyche, their mentality, where they're coming from, what their experiences have been leading up into this moment. If you see, if you're a good little Jewish boy or girl in this first century, you grew up having scripture, having your holy book, your Torah, which is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Your Torah was a a high value. And you were encouraged from a really young age to, to orient your life around this Torah because your ancestors wanted to pass down to you this word of God, the story of God's activity in the life of his people because they, he, we all have a tendency to forget. And so they wanted us to know this book. They wanted these kids to grow up with an understanding of this book. In fact, to the extent that there was Torah school for these boys and girls, at six years old to 11, they went to school to try and get this, memorize the whole Torah. All those books. And so they spent time in school. It's like elementary school for us, but they studied the Torah. And, and after elementary school, there were a few years, call it middle school, when they like dialogued about it. And so they would have like these intense conversations about the Torah. But it was all like, it was all uh, like a Socratic type thing where you're asking questions and not making statements. And so their instructor might say like, like what's, five plus five. And then if you were a smart young student, you wouldn't say 10. You would say, well, tell me, um, what's 20 divided by two? And they'd be like, ah, yes, I see. <laughs> young Jedi, you understand the ways. And so they would, be, they would be working with this text in that kind of a way. They knew it that well. And then after the, the junior high kind of portion of school, they would graduate into this opportunity to be chosen by a rabbi. And if you were chosen by the rabbi, who's like the authority in the culture, the most respected, the most revered, the most of somewhat kind of celebrity status, you, you were set from there because that meant that the rabbi thought that you had potential, that you could become like him. And your job then for the next number of years was simply to follow your rabbi as closely as you can. And so the rabbi would come to all these boys and girls who had been through all these years of Torah school and the interaction and the dialogue. And then when they were ready to be chosen, he would show up and the cream of the crop would rise to the top and he would give them these tests and exams and walk through and he would only choose the best and the brightest and say, you can come and follow me. You have passed and you can come and you can follow me. The vast majority were sent packing and he would say something along the lines of, go now and learn the trade of your father. (laughs) which is code for, you washed out, you're not good enough to be my disciple, go, you know, mine somewhere, or, you know, build some stuff, or fish. And the few that were chosen got to follow this rabbi everywhere he went. And so that is where we find these 
Jewish guys. They're probably late teenagers, maybe early 20s in that realm. And here they are fishing when they encounter Jesus for the first time. Luke chapter 5. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. They were always crowding around Jesus. He saw at the water's edge two boats there left by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down like rabbis did and taught the people from the boat. A couple of things that are happening here. Jesus is using water now as his natural amplification system. So the crowd has gathered so much that they can't hear over the people in front of him. And so he sees Simon wash the nets. He says, Simon, come here. Let's put your boat out just a little bit and I'm going to sit in it and I'm going to teach all these people. And you've shouted at someone across a pond or something. You know, the, the, the noise comes off the water in a way that projects it. And so he's smart, Jesus, shocker. And so he's sitting there. He's thinking, I'm going to project off this water. And so he's teaching them in that way. He's also, I want you to recognize that the nets that they're using, that's how they fished in those days. They didn't have the reel and the lure and the things like that. They didn't use those things. They used giant nets. And they would put the nets down and they would catch the fish that way. And so fish aren't, you know, the dumbest creature in the world. So they could see the net. If they could see the net, they wouldn't swim into the net. So they fished at night. These guys had been fishing all night long. And here they are, hadn't caught anything, and they're, they're cleaning off their nets. Simon being the one that Jesus chooses and says, let me get into your fishing boat. This is Simon's most valuable asset that he has to his name. This is how he has his identity wrapped up in this. He has all his finances wrapped up in this. This is his hope for providing and for becoming someone in that town and in that culture. Jesus wants to get in his boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now put into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Keep in mind, it's probably like late morning now. Fish don't swim into nets when they can see the nets. Verse 5, Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. Now notice this. Simon is willing to kind of go along with this because he has high respect for a rabbi, a teacher. He calls him master, which means teacher or a rabbi. And he has respect for him because he had grown up going to school. He had grown up learning all these things. He had grown up having rabbis elevated and put on a pedestal. And so, and he had just watched this guy teach all these people and they came from all over the place and they were mesmerized, hanging on every word that Jesus spoke. And so Simon's like, this is kind of cool. It's a little bit obnoxious because I'm a fisherman. This is what I do. And I know that we're not going to catch any fish in broad daylight. I didn't catch any all night long. So it's ridiculous. But he says, uh, the game-changing statement, because you said so, I'll do it. We'll go out, we'll push into deep waters, and we'll let down the nets. Here's what I wonder. I wonder if there's some of us who Jesus has said something to us, but we're still sitting at the shore. I wonder if Jesus has asked us, if you've had a sense of God asking you to do something, take another step. First step, let me in the boat. Second step, 
let's go out into deep water. But you're still at the shore. Because something that you think maybe he's inviting you into, maybe he's asking you to do, it's so offensive to your intellect and to what you know about your job and vocation. You're smart. You know how finances work. You know how costly this could be. I don't want to go out and do that. And so you're still sitting at the shore. But Simon says, because you say so, I will do it. Verse 6. When they had done so, when they had let down their nets, they had caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat because they had these like teams and almost like little corporate entities that they would fish together to cover the costs of what it required. And they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Now, they hadn't seen a movie where this had happened. They hadn't read about this happening. They had never even heard of something like this happening. To where in the middle of the day, fish are literally just like jumping into their boats. And they can't even contain them. They're scooping fish out so that they don't sink. Verse 8, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Notice the shift. It's very subtle. But just a few minutes ago, when Jesus asked him to push out, he said, Master, Master, or Teacher, or Rabbi, I've been fishing all night. This isn't going to work, but I'll do it because you said so. And now he sees who Jesus is and he says, Lord, there's a shift. There's a shift from you're a good teacher that inspires me to I will do anything you say. You are God. There's a shift from I want my kids to grow up going to church to I'm all in, whatever you want for my life. There's a shift from Caleb says some good things once in a while on Sundays and I get some stuff out of the message to I just want to meet with you every day, God. Can I have this relationship? Can I, can I connect with you on Tuesdays too? There's this shift from you're a good teacher to holy, you are God. You, you, you are Lord. And then his response when he realizes who it is that's in his boat is to say, I'm not worthy. Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. I don't deserve to be near you. You're, you're, you're not just a teacher. You're something far more than that. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So Jesus pulled, or so they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything, and followed him. Let me give you a little uh, visual aid. I asked Tiffany to come and help me uh, with this. Uh, These are goldfish, and I heard that Tiffany really liked goldfish, so I asked if she would participate in this little exercise with me. 
Tiffany, you are a fisherwoman, and, uh, and here is your boat. Your right hand is your boat net kind of thing, and, and there it is. And so this, this miracle happens. Jesus is like, hey, do this. And you're like, this is ridiculous. This is never going to work. I know what it is to fish. And then all of a sudden, you pull up the net, and you can't contain the fish, right? It's not working. There, there's fish everywhere, more than your little net can handle. So you're like, hey, buddies, come over here. Look at all this craziness. And the other boat, the other net come up, and you're like, we still can't contain all these fish. They're just going everywhere. You, well, <laughs> help yourself. We'll have Jack come up here and eat this up later afterwards. And so you have, here you are. I mean, this is like the most miraculous thing you've ever seen in your life. This is what you do for a living. You never heard of anything like this happening. You've never seen so many fish in one place, not even at the fish store. You know, I mean, this is, this is crazy. This is, this, you can never imagine this happening in your vocation. And here they are, all these fish. And then Jesus says something really strange and interesting. He says, I, here, we just did this whole thing. Now I want you uh, to, to, to leave that stuff and come and follow me. And when he says, I want you to leave that stuff and come and follow me, you have a really difficult decision to make because this could pay your salary for like months. I mean, you're set. This is, well, what else do you need? You, would, you wouldn't catch that much fish on your own for like 2013. Like now it's just one few minutes and it's there. You, you, you would have to almost like let go of your, 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 your kids. I mean, they're, they're, they're counting on you. You're, you're, you're almost having to trust God with like your health, like, like with your money, because you're really fiscally sound and you know how things work and, 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 and he's blessed you with stuff. And so uh, in, in order for Jesus to say, come and let go as he extends his hand, you're going to have to drop all of that. <laughs> go, go ahead and drop all of that. Yeah. <laughs> And to take his hand, right? Thank you, Tiffany. Thank you. (laughs) And so Jesus, after doing this crazy miracle, then tells the guys who fish, who didn't believe him in the first place, and then they're blessed beyond their wildest dreams, to let it all go. Not just all the fish that could pay their bills for a long time, but also their boats and their nets because clearly their nets weren't even enough to contain in the first place what Jesus wanted to do with them. And so the invitation is, do you trust me even with all I've already blessed you with? that you would take the next step of faith and come and follow me. And it's interesting what he tells these Jewish guys, these Jewish fishermen who would be his disciples, the first thing he says to them is, do not be afraid. Because when you're afraid, you are prone to control. And when you try to control and hang on and hold on to what you think is yours or you think that you're entitled to or that you think you can manage better than him, you cannot receive. You tell yourself that you're a perfectionist. You tell yourself that you're just really intentional and a good planner or really conservative but you're trying to control your life. 
compensating for some fear. And Jesus says, do you trust me? Will you let it go and take my hand and follow me? And so these disciples, they left everything. They left their career where they got their identity from. They left their vocation where they got their money from. They left financial gain. They could have ridden that train for a long time and they walked away from it. Here's one other little thing to keep in mind. That Jesus, when he invited these guys to come and follow him, there's two things going on. One, they're wrestling with, can I let go of this stuff that defines me? And at the same time, these are the same boys who went through all that Torah school and those mental gymnastics with their instructor and stood before different rabbis who passed on them and said, in essence, to them, you're not good enough for me. You're not smart enough. You're not spiritual enough. You're not religious enough. Your behavior isn't good enough. I don't see as much leadership potential in you. And they were passed on, and they were told to go back and learn the family trade, fishing, which they have done, which they now cling to. And Jesus not only does this crazy miracle, but then invites them to come and follow him, the ultimate rabbi. And now they're thinking to themselves, I have to let go of all of this that I've built my life on trusting because of this fear. I am, I am nervous about relinquishing control. And yet at the same time, he's choosing me. He picks me. He says that I'm good enough that I'm worthy of following him. And this is the miracle God rabbi, not the chump that passed on me before. Look at me now, sucker. You know, I mean, that's how they're, and they have this decision to make. Do I let go of everything that I hold dear to trust this miracle rabbi? Because he's seemingly willing to trust me. I thought of one other place in scripture that, that, that came to my mind where Jesus invites these disciples, actually the same disciple, Simon. He went on to change Simon's name to Peter. And he invites Peter to come and follow him this one other time, and he leads off again by saying, don't be afraid. It's in Matthew chapter 14. The disciples find themselves in a boat once again, and Jesus isn't in the boat. Turns out they're in the boat, and Jesus is out walking on water. He's sandal surfing. He's, he's making his way across the waves uh, using nothing just but his legs. And the disciples freak out like you would if you're in a boat and he's not. And he's walking towards you. And in Matthew 14 it says, But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Because when you're afraid, you tend to control aspects of your life and cling to them. Verse 28, Lord, if it is you, Peter or Simon, replied, Tell me to come to you on the water. Why? Because you're my rabbi. And you've told me that I can do the things that you do, that I can come and follow you and I wonder if I can even do this thing on the water that you're doing. And Jesus says in verse 29, come. 
And so Peter hikes up his skirt thing, and he jumps out of the boat, and he gets on the water. It says, then Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and began, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? Now, here's the interesting thing. It's easy to believe. It's easy just to associate in that moment that Jesus is saying, why did you doubt me? I told you to come. But what if? What if what Jesus is really saying is why are you doubting you? I've chosen you. You're my disciple. I've chosen you to follow me and to do the things that I'm doing. I've chosen you, Peter, to be the rock on which I would build my church. I've chosen you to advance this message and literally turn the world upside down so that today, 2,000 plus years later, Almost everyone has heard this name, Jesus, and so many follow him. I've chosen you, Peter. Why do you doubt that you can do it? What I have invited you into. John 15, 16 says, You did not choose me, but I chose you. You see, it's not that Peter didn't trust Jesus. It's that he didn't trust himself. And it's not that you're afraid of God to take this next step of faith. You're afraid of you. You're afraid that you can't do it. You're afraid of what you know is inside. You're afraid of what might happen if you do. You know you too well. And Jesus would say, but I chose you. And I choose you still. It's you that I want to come and follow me. Jesus, in essence, has faith in you. And he says, I want you to come out on the water and follow me. I want you to push out into deep waters. I want that to be your story. I want to invite you to leave behind what you think you know and what you think you've been blessed with and come and follow me in this next step of faith. We get the privilege of hearing a story from a friend of ours. Jillian is one who felt like God just doesn't he doesn't want me, I'm not worthy, until she began to take little steps of faith. And I wanted her to share a glimpse of her story with you this morning. Please welcome Jillian. Like, please let me win the lottery. Um, when everyone 
was getting married around me, and I wasn't, and everybody was having children, I yelled at God. I screamed at God. I um, started comparing my life to everybody else's, my sins to everybody else's. Um, and then I started experiencing terrible panic attacks and major depression. And I prayed and I prayed for God to take this terrible feeling away, but he didn't answer. So thank goodness for alcohol. Alcohol made me feel happy. It made me feel giddy, confident, connected. Um, but the more I drank, the more I lost myself. So a few years ago, I went back to church. Um, I tried reading the Bible again and praying. And again, I didn't hear from him. So again, I went back to alcohol. Um, alcohol definitely had its benefits, but it also caused me to have blackouts, to have broken relationships, inappropriate relationships, um, a lot of self-loathing. And um, over the past couple years, my life was just spiraling out of control. Um, and in this past fall, um, I was in the darkest place I've ever been. And um, I wanted to die. I didn't try to kill myself, but I said, if this is what life's about, then I don't want to live. Um, so I actually, I was at such a point that I checked myself into a rehab and mental health facility. And um, 45 days later, I came out and I came back home and I went to Mariners, Huntington Beach for the first time. And um, I don't remember what Caleb was talking about that day, but he got up in front of everyone and he said that he wasn't perfect and that he was a sinner. And I just started bawling. I was crying for all my regrets, but the best thing is I started crying for hope. Um, after that, I started coming to Mariners every week. Um, I signed up to do Rooted. Um, I started praying to God and um, Rooted. God used that to change my life. Um, my Rooted group was amazing. They were loving and caring. And in those 10 weeks, I learned to love myself again. I learned to be hopeful, grateful, and humble. Um, and I just, I started thanking God. Over the past five months, I had these moments where I just, I look up and I say thank you for all my blessings. And most of all, like, thank you for loving me, for just me. Um, God is teaching me that I'm unconditionally loved by him. And he's using everyone here in the Mariners community to send words of encouragement through the elders that have prayed for me, through um, the new friends I've made, through my life group, and through Caleb's weekly messages. Um, God has taken away my guilt and shame. At the Rooted Celebration um, last month, I stood up in front of 900 people, and he gave me the strength to say, I have a problem with alcohol, but now I have this amazing love for God. Um, and he's, he's having me take another step, and um, I will be one of the leaders for Rooted. And so if you haven't signed up, I'll be outside. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I just, I want to say that I hope and pray for all of you and all my friends that don't know God, that a relationship with him is possible. And if you just let go of yourself and just trust in him, you'll have a life that you can't even imagine. So thank you. Thank you.
So what is it that God would be whispering to you and inviting you to let go of control over? Where is it that you've been just gripping so tight, thinking that this is yours? Maybe it's out of some fear of what would happen if or, or some identity, like this is just who I am and this is what I need to be me. And he's saying, do you trust me? Because I've given you everything that's good in your life and I have so much more for you. Your nets can't handle what I have for you. Do you trust me? Will you put them down? Will you come and follow me? What's your next step of faith that he's inviting you into? Maybe for some of you, it's just trusting Jesus for the first time and saying yes to this relationship. Maybe, maybe it's jumping into Rooted. Maybe it's opening your home to a group. Maybe it's letting go of past pain or forgiving someone who's hurt you. Whatever it looks like, having spiritual conversations with people because before it just hasn't been, that's, not, that's just not who you are. What is he inviting you to do? Trust him with your finances? Trust him with your future? Trust him with your family? Let him speak to you as we pray. God, I pray that you would speak. I pray that you would inspire. I pray that you would lead us and give us the courage to follow boldly after you.
anything, we have leaders that are here out to my left that would love to pray for you outside those doors, so take them up on it. You heard from Jillian that sometimes God speaks through them. Um, and then my encouragement to you is when you leave today, don't, don't leave this experience behind, but if you wrote down something in your outline or he's spoken to you in some way, take a next step. Say yes, whatever that looks like. Maybe tell someone else that you know cares about you, hey, I, I feel like God's inviting me to do this or to at least think about this differently. And, uh, and then sign up for Rooted, obviously, if that's one of them. We start off tonight. That would be a great next step for some of you. Let me pray for you before you go. Just God's blessing over you. God, as you look over your people and you see our hands open to you, we are willing to receive Give us the courage to let go of the things that we cling to for control and to trust you really. And then, God, we expectantly hope and pray that you lead us into a life of adventure and abundance and blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a great day. add in the, the sharps and the <laughs> the chord it sounds like whale